What's up, you guys? You know, it's your girl back here again. We are joining a soldier who would like to be anonymous and would stay anonymous. And she is sharing her experience and her trials and tribulations that she had to deal with while being in the military. So please take this moment to appreciate her for her service and understand and listen to what she has to say. All right, you guys, what's up? I'm here with my family here. So how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know what I'm <laughs> So I titled this, Do You Kneel? Because, um... I'm going to be talking about like the Black Lives Matter movement and I know that you were involved in that and everything. So, how about you just like, you know, explain what level you are at right now in the military? Right now, um I'm a sergeant in the military. I've been in for 5 years. I'm finishing my first contract, my only contract. <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, yeah, I just made it sergeant. Um I have a team under me and everything. A team or two but I do have a squad leader I report to and everything okay so how do you do you enjoy being in the military not really to be honest <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like for the first year of being in the military it was definitely something I had to do to save myself mm. from a bad relationship I was coming out of but after that I just feel like it's a waste of time Maybe because I'm in the National Guard. Maybe because the military actually don't care about their soldiers like that. But I really feel like it's a waste of my time. Mm, I feel that. Like, what what made you get into the military? Um, Around 2016, I was dating this guy. And he was cheating on me. Um, I tried to break up with him a few times. But he was so much like a sociopath. He kept on refusing to accept my breakup. So he'll show up at my house as if that never happened. Oh, I'll no. break <laughs> Oh no, baby. Yeah, I'll break up with him. He'll show up at my job with flowers like that never happened. So I, I got fed up. He over here trying again and again. Pretty again. much. Like he would literally show up at my school with food oh, and no, everything. That's possessive. <laughs> so um, I got fed up. So I decided, hey, to join the military. So as I was coming, from my classes um, as a sophomore mm-hmm. or freshman going to sophomore, um, I saw a recruiter outside of my school. I walked up to him. I said, hey, I want to join the military. I want to be a military police. Mm-hmm. What do you need from me? Sign me up. <laughs> and he gave me his card. He was like, hey, you need to be a U.S. citizen. And I told him at the time I was one week away from being sworn in to get my citizenship. So I will call him after I get that paper. So after I got my paper, <laughs> I literally called him with everything. And I was like, let's go take the ASVAB. Let's do the maps, the physical part. Sign me up. Send Like the fastest time you have, send me away. So I signed up. I went to um, basic training in IIT in September. Mm-hmm. I returned home like March. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and then while I was there, I suspended my phone line. And eventually the ex went away. <laughs> the ex went away. He decided to move back to Florida. Oh wow. Yeah. 
that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and never seen or heard from again. I mean, we still talk now because now he have a daughter. Mm, so he forget. So you forgiven him? Um, I'm, I'm never the type of person to hold a grudge. So mm. um, even if the person hurt me bad. I always leave the door, hey, if you really need a friend to talk mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm the last person, by all means, call me because I'd rather talk to you than for you to kill yourself. Right, exactly. So I never, you know, closed that door. It was just, you know, closed but not locked. Right. So he called me when he found out he was going to be a dad because he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to buy. And he knew I'm a great aunt. So he called me and we were talking and I'm like, hey, you need to be a better man for your daughter. Mm-hmm. So you guys are co- like civil. We are. We okay. are. He tried to visit me. I said, no. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank you, bro. No. No. Not Stay that. over there. Stay your ass there. No, no tickets, please. <laughs> so like, okay, with like the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know what I'm saying? Because that, that up here in Massachusetts, Rhode Island area, it was a little big and it was a, it was pretty stressful for I, I i mean mostly for me i didn't go to any of the protests i didn't i didn't want to and i i already saw like on other people's snapchats that like a lot of like the officers were getting yelled at and everything like that one of my friends actually went to the one in boston mm. and he was filming it and everything like that and like not even 10 minutes later he got maced in his face oh wow and like a whole bunch of people were putting milk in his eyes and everything. He was like, "Yo, I got maced, and I don't. I turn around and I get maced by an officer, and I didn't know why. You know what I'm saying? So like from your for your experience and for you being a soldier in the military, like how was it for you when you got involved in that? To be honest with you, like um, when the whole Black Lives Matter thing was happening. I really thought, you know, it was a great cause because mm-hmm. something tragic happened, you know. It's not every day that you see a police literally kneeling on someone's neck for the eight, nine minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it was definitely, to me, justifiable why the whole movement was happening. But at the same time, too, while it was happening, I felt like a lot of people forgot that we have black soldiers, we have Latino soldiers... We don't get to choose to remove our skin. We don't get to choose to be a police just because we want to hurt people. That's right. not the case. A lot of us, like I said, I literally joined the military to escape a crazy ex. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of all that. I had to choose my duties versus my race. <laughs> and it was very it was very tra- um traumatic like in a sense like because as much as I wanted to be part of the movement, as much as I wanted to walk, I really, let me take that back because I was never the type of person to walk coming from Haiti. Mm-hmm. You see all this thing happening, people right. getting shot, people yeah. getting literally hit with rocks and everything. Mm-hmm. So my parents taught me at an early age, hey, support the movement, but, but remove, yes, yes, stay away, stay from, away from the from movement it, yeah. because you can get killed. Mm-hmm. So um, I was very much by the movement. I'm like, yes, walk, protest. You do what you have to do. But then it's all you're getting violent. <laughs> you know, the whole um, looting mm-hmm. started happening. They set a cup car on fire in Providence. Um, and it's like, I feel like it just took us away from the whole movement now. You like just doing that for your own personal gain. Mm-hmm. 
So we were called in and they said, hey, we have to go out. There's a lot of protesting. People are trying to break into malls. So let's deviate, um, let's separate into groups. So they sent some people to Woonsocket. They sent some people to Providence. They sent some people to Warwick Mall, Providence Place Mall. You name it, whatever mall, big malls in Rhode Island. Right. So for me, I was at Warwick Mall. And we were there, we got there, met up with the Warwick police officers. And as we were standing there, you know, some people started walking up, you know. We already know what to expect. We already know there wasn't going to be people over there. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of, are they going to just be shouting and yelling mm-hmm. and, you know, making known whatever, you know, point they're trying to pr- prove or send across? Or was it going to actually get violent? So we were there for hours. And I went there, no food. They didn't provide no food, to be honest with you, because you're so busy carrying all that gear. That is just escape your mind that you actually have to eat. But there was plenty of water. So while we were there, there was a truck um, that kept on dropping pallets of bricks. Oh, my God. At the gas station where we were at. <laughs> and as we were walking around, we were like, if I, don't, if I remember correctly, to be honest, it was like 15 of us, military people and police combined. Wow. And there was like pallets of bricks. And when I went inside to use the bathroom, I called my mom and I was telling my mom, yo, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, I feel like I'm going to die tonight because um, you can have all the bullets in the real world. Mm-hmm. It just won't take one rock to hit you in the head and for you and to get taken the fuck out. Yeah. Um, and then that escalated like even more. The next day they call us, they say, hey, there's going to be riots at Providence, um, the state house. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, here we go. So we separate into team. Some of them was around the area, the mall area, basically showing presence. And while I was there, I'm like thinking, okay, it's just going to be one of those riots where people shout. They, you know, they make aware of what's happening. Take a knee, whatever, you name it. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of it, when we got to the state house, there was roughly about 50 people there. But those 50 people, they were playing music. They were interacting with the cops. They were giving actually water to the cops. They were mm-hmm. like, hey, we're just here to support the movement. How you guys doing, though? Mm-hmm. We were talking to them, socializing, no problem. And then they said, hey, remove your gear. Because the governor wanted us to appear softer. She didn't want us to have our vest on. She didn't want us to have our weapon, our gas mask, nothing. So we just have our belt with the weapon on it, with the um, pistol. But that was it. And while I was standing there, they sent me outside because I'm 5'0". I'm 5'0", 120 pounds. They sent me and another female sergeant so we can appear softer. Hmm. So while we were there, um, as I was standing there, I'm like, okay, okay, if this is it, then we good. The next thing I know, I look all the way down to the mall, the mall area. Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. But I'm trying to pinpoint where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I could have sworn, Bev. <laughs> like, I closed my eyes. I just blink, And I had 10,000 people standing in front of me. Oh, my God. It happened that fast. 
like maybe time was happening so fast that I didn't realize, you know, they were walking fast, but I could have sworn I just blink from the last time I saw them all the way down past the mall next to the highway. I blink and there was 10,000 people in front of me. People were on top of the grass. People was all the way down to the freaking mall. They had to block the streets and it just went quiet. All you could hear is like fire trucks, police cars going on. It went quiet. And um, they said, hey, get your gear now. Get your gear now. So I went inside, put all my gear on. Not all of them, actually. They said, get your gear. So we put our vests on. Mm-hmm. So while we were standing there, people were trying to interact. You know, the, um, the movement leaders, they were like, hey, this is what's happening. We just want you guys to take a knee with us. I'm like, okay, it's that easy. Mm-hmm. It's take a knee. I get it. I'm black. It's take a knee to show, hey, I'm in support of you. Right. And that's it. Right. But I wasn't in the front line of the people who was facing the rioters. Mm-hmm. I was in the middle stairs because I was less than lethal. Right. And what that means is I was responsible for tasers. I was responsible for pepper spray. I was responsible for gas. I was responsible for pepper balls. Mm. And then we had infantry behind us who was responsible for anything lethal, basically shooting, if it comes to that. And the people in the front, they were just there as a barricade to make sure that it doesn't come to the second or the third. So I was in the middle of the stairs, and um, I noticed like a lot of the people, they were asking people to take a knee. (laughs) And to be honest with you... um, Actually, the state troopers were taking knees, mm. but it turned into this thing where they would take a knee now, and then two minutes later, they are asking them to take a knee again, and they would take a knee again, and then two, three minutes later, they would go like, take a knee. So it turned into this whole mimic thing, like, take a knee now, take a knee now, take a knee now, take a knee again, and it's like, yo, how many knees do I have to take for you to know? Yeah. I'm with you. You are justified. Like, you have a justified reason to be here. I know the movement. I support you guys protesting right now. Mm-hmm. How many knees do you want me to take? Right. So, when it became to like two, 10, 20 times, the state troopers in the front were taking knees and knees and knees and knees and decided, hey, yo, I'm getting tired of taking knee. I'm done taking knee for today. They didn't say that physically, you know, right. uh, verbally, it was, it was but you can, you, you can, can tell, you can tell right. like, how do you expect someone carrying 40, 50 pounds of gear on their back right. to keep on taking knees every time you say take That's a knee? That's the whole fucking exercise. Like what? <laughs> like, okay. yo, keep it up. <laughs> this is crazy. You know? <laughs> so anyway, um, the officers, some of them were still going, taking a knee, taking a knee and... It was kind of crazy, though, because even though there was over 10,000 people there, mm-hmm. you would think when someone's talking, you're not going to even be able to pinpoint who's talking. Right. But that day, every noise that was made, I could pinpoint where it's coming who it from, was, yeah. who it was. And while I was there, um, we were talking to our sergeants because in the military, you don't make a decision to take a knee by yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to be giving an order to take a knee. Mm-hmm. So we are talking to our sergeant, our higher ups. We were like, hey, it's just a knee. Let's take a knee. Let's do that, yeah. And they were actually debating, you know, taking a knee. The next thing I know, 
Someone called me a coon in the middle of the crowd. <laughs> and they were like, the president hate you. Why are you here? You're a nigga. Da -da 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 -da. And I went back to my sergeant and I'm like, no one's taking a knee. Because the last thing we're going to do is while I'm here, I get it. I didn't choose to be black. I, di I did actually choose to be a military police officer. You don't realize how risky it is. If I say, hey, I'm not doing this, I can go to jail. Right. I would never be able to work any job, not even McDonald's, mm -hmm. if the military put you in jail. So I didn't have a choice. I had to literally choose my duty versus my race. And while I was there, you're telling me you're here for a black movement, supporting black people. And the same you guys, you are oh, forgetting yeah. that I'm black. You're forgetting that I'm there to make sure that you guys go home safe. Because mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, around the time all this was happening, I was one of the three black people out there. And while all this was happening, I was one of the only one black, people, black person there. And I was there to show you guys, hey, I'll make sure nothing happens. I'll make sure I got your back. I'll make sure it doesn't cross that line. Because mm -hmm. I get what you are feeling. I get the frustration. I get both parts. I'll be the peacemaker in between. And then you're calling me a coon. You are verbally abusing me for what? I said, we're not taking me. Because how are you going to support a movement about black people treating black people when you're treating me bad? Mm -hmm. Like, does that, doesn't that contradict the whole movement? It's a hypocritical thing. So I was like, okay, I'm not taking a knee. And we decided, hey, we're not taking a knee. So while this is happening, someone started shoving into, <laughs> into the, the state troopers. And it started getting very serious. They were shoving. This guy was using this poor white woman as a shield. Oh, my God. This black man. And he was pushing into us. He was pushing so now we had to call the remaining military police we had to make the line stronger in the front so it wouldn't come to the second or the third person. Or the third. Right. So we're right there pushing. We're taking steps toward them. And <laughs> let me tell you, it was like the most nerve-wracking thing because I wish I could talk to them and be like, hey, just stay where you're at, make your point, go home. Because as they were pushing and shoving and shoving and shoving, excuse me, we had to go get dressed and gears. That means our gas mask. Mm. That means the shield that we have over our face if we were to deploy gas or whatnot. Like, I cannot tell you how many people had axes in the middle of the crowd. How many people had bottles th that they were ready to light up and throw at us, like the bomb bottles. Mm -hmm. But it happened. It happened. Um, they made that point. They chant. We were just there. Nothing happened physically. Then the governor came out, and she was like, let's pray. <laughs> and she made things even worse. Because hmm. now they were even more irritated because they had to protest with masks on. The governor came out with no mask, and she was trying to hold people in. And then she left. She went home. She let us out there with the mess. They started protesting literally at 10 in the morning. It didn't get back bad until 2, 3 in the afternoon. And we didn't leave the state house until 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened. They did their moment of silence for George Floyd. To be honest with you, I don't regret not taking a knee because... In order to take a knee, I have to be 
mentally agreeing with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I felt violated, I was just over it, to be honest. I was just over it. I was really, really done with the, this whole thing. Until this day, it went to the extreme of the military posting black people to show that, hey, we are a diverse military. Right. As a matter of fact, they posted me. I'm one of the three black people in the whole unit. They posted me, oh, the military is all about diversity. And as a result of that, black people were following me home. They were following me wherever I was at. And that's scary. I had to keep changing my clothes in order to appear as if I'm another person. When I'm going to work, I had to change clothes. When I'm coming back from work, I had to change clothes. In the meantime, because there was a curfew, I had to also make sure I have the uniform nearby so the police wouldn't pull me over and ask me why I'm outside. Like, if that doesn't show you that I'm just as black as you are, then I don't know what what would, to be honest with you. So, no. I do believe in taking the knee. I get the significance of taking a knee. But some people just don't deserve me taking any for. The conversation was so emotional and so so traumatic for her that we had to stop so she can catch her breath, so she can explain what she was going through and what has been going through throughout being in the military for the years that she's been in. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a lot. Girl, I'm trying to hold back tears. I, I could tell. Because, <laughs> like, all of that, like, that. this is what I... This is what I was talking about because a lot of people do not understand what the officers and the soldiers go through. You know, you getting screamed at, you know what I'm saying? Or like you're just doing your job, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? If you could walk with them, you would walk with them, but you can't. There's there are some people that are taking that took this as an opportunity to be ignorant. Mm-hmm. People took this opportunity to really be like, yo, it's not no Black Lives Matter no more. Mm-hmm. We about to show you how angry we are. But as as Black women, I feel like the, like the Black community in general, they like I get it, we have every right to be mad as Black people. Mm-hmm. We have every right. But we need to do it better. Because this is, this that showed that, you know, black people, we ain't got no sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. Because a lot of people still look at black people as belligerent, as rude, as very loud. And all we do is fight and we're Destroy. violent. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then when we have, like, I get it, we have white people, we have white people that came in support, but they're calling you coon. When we have the opportunity to show that we are one, that we stand for something, I know that a lot of the looting that was happening wasn't done by black people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, too, it happened. 
Right. It happened while we were protesting about something that mattered to us. Right. And from that point, when they, like, to be honest with you, like, while we were there, we were, like, supporting the movement. We were talking, not to the extent, but the military, we, like, discussed pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. They weren't discussing, oh, this black this, this black that. It was more like, hey, black people had the whole world in their hand mm-hmm. when George Floyd died. They could have done anything. They could have requested anything from the president and had it done. Mm-hmm. That's how we saw it in the military. But then they went ahead and burned out a police car in Providence. And that just set all the white people mad. Because now you're messing around with Blue Lives Matter. What's going to happen when another black fellow person like kill you? Who are you going to call? Right. The police. We're not your enemy. We're really not. One of my friends, she's Hispanic. She's from Dominican Republic. She was in the front line when, you know, they started shoving. While she was there, one of her friends in the crowd saw her and the friend called her out. The friend was like, you're a hypocrite. Why are you here? Oh, my God. You know how much strength it took for her not to, not to hit that friend in the face? It's like, why are you calling me out when I have no option but to be here? Why are you calling me out? And the friend was, I'll never talk to you again. Yo, when we had to do our debrief, the debrief, the debrief is basically after anything happened. The military bring the chaplain. Mm-hmm. They bring, you know, a, a social worker to sit down and talk to you and talk about how you're feeling mentally. Right. When we had our debrief, me and that girl couldn't stop crying to show you how traumatic it was for us. We couldn't stop crying. And we couldn't even explain to those white people in the room why we were crying. That's the crazy part. We literally just stayed there and we were crying so bad. And she was like, yo, my friend called me out. Someone that I thought I was a good friend with. Mm -hmm. They know that I'm in the military. They know that the chances of me being out there was very high. But she still decided to call me out. And it took every power in me not to hit her in the face because I had my baton out. Because at the end of the day, Shit, I would after that happened, literally, we noticed her. She was shaking and things like that. We had to pull her out of the line, yeah, because she was and ready. shove her in the back. She was shaking. That's how angry she was. Like, yo, why do he have to mentally abuse me in the process of you proving your point? Mm-hmm. Am I not backing off? Right. As a matter of fact, I think I was blacker than majority of the people in the crowd. But at that time, they didn't see black. They just saw green, army green. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm wearing the uniform doesn't mean I'm white. When I remove the uniform, I get pulled over just as much as you do. Period. As a matter of fact, one of my black friends, while she was coming out of the soul riot at 2 in the morning, she got pulled over because she had to change into civilian clothes in order not to be followed home. She got pulled over by an officer. And she couldn't prove that she was in the military because all her gear was in her trunk. And she couldn't get out the car. And she was so scared to get out, so they wouldn't shoot her. Mm-hmm. So when I remove this uniform, I'm just as black as you are. When I wear this uniform, I don't get extra privilege. I'm just a black woman who wear this uniform. That's just what it is. <laughs> Understanding 
a soldier's experience, understanding an officer's experience, especially when they aren't in uniform, you have to recognize that they are still us. They may be different due to the fact of what they do for work, obviously, but you hear my fam and 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 her experience and how she you can just hear it in her voice to what she was going through now she's um about to share her PTSD and please stay tuned tell you people don't understand (laughs) (laughs) they really don't people don't understand like that's why i always i try i try my best to like really check up on you and be like yo how are you doing you know what i'm saying because i i seen you know tipo you know what i'm saying like she (laughs) we ain't gonna the name but tipo as well like she's stressed and she got PTSD, and I don't even know if she was out there. But if she was... She wasn't out there. She wasn't out there? I think she's a mechanic. She yeah. wasn't out there. Yeah, she's a mechanic. So for me, <laughs> since this incident has happened, when I get home, I check my I check my door about a million times. Yeah. I have two you doors. Have, you have PTSD from there? And... <laughs> you know, the military do try to play off PTSD in black people. Yeah. Because according to research, black people cannot feel pain. Hence, one of the reasons why Jeez. black women who go to the hospital and they are saying, hey, I feel pain. Mm-hmm. They are not being taken serious because according to research, according black to research, people do not feel pain. And where that does that research came from? The gynecology guy who created this whole thing. You know what he was doing? I know we off topic. This man was literally taking black women and opening their vagina with metal clamp and experimenting on them. And he was doing that for so many years that they say black people don't feel pain. So when I do come home, after the whole incident happened, a social worker called me. I told her, this is what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't sleep for more than two, three hours. Mm -hmm. I'll have to fall asleep with my boyfriend on the line. Just in so order, I could hear him. In order to make sure that you're safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to call my mom and be like, hey, I'm going to sleep now. I had to give an extra key to my family. I had to go over and play with my nephews and nieces. And for so long, I was just going to my family house for no reason. Just so I could be close to them because I do live by myself. Mm-hmm. So now I go to the whole routine. When I go to sleep, I check my window. Put a whole freaking stick in between the window to make sure no one can open them from outside check my door a million times double check again double check the little chain thing Mm -hmm. check the back door double check yank at it over and over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. making sure it's closed and no one can can actually open it can come in and then from that i go to my bedroom close the door and when i wake up in the morning if the door if i didn't close it all the way and the door is slightly open. It gets, gets you. I literally have a weapon next to my head. 
whoever's inside my house is going to get it. And I'm just going through that whole stage over and over and over. Whether I'm sleeping or not, mm-hmm. I go through that whole crap over and over. It doesn't matter how hot my apartment is. I'm not going to open a window. Because I'm so scared someone's going to jump inside my window and attack me. <laughs> like people don't understand. It takes so little for you to be to have PTSD. It takes very little for you to have PTSD. And it took that for me to have PTSD. And I didn't talk about it for a long time. I was going to work. Just work. Because after all that happened, I had to go back to my COVID mission. I just went to work. And people was asking me, hey, why are you not smiling the way you were smiling before? Oh. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm checking on my Dominican friend. I'm checking on my black friend who was pulled over. And after she was pulled over, after that whole ride, I had to give her rides home because she was so scared of driving by herself. So, yeah, it takes literally nothing for you to have PTSD. And the fact that I felt like I was going to die, <laughs> that tell you, you a lot. Like, <laughs> I really felt like I was going to die. And I don't even discuss that with my family. I don't even tell them, hey, <laughs> you know, when I stay home, this is what's happening to me. Come visit me. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm okay because I don't want to pain other people with my own PTSD. This first episode was honestly very emotional for me. And it made me understand. It allowed me to understand what she went through. Not and not only for with the movement of the protest, but also as a soldier in the military, what she has to go through as a sergeant, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like if people really wanted to educate themselves and really understand why, like why or what people, or why, how, when, where, um, officers, military soldiers do, please ask them. Like, honestly, ask someone that you actually know that's in the military, you know, and really genuinely ask yourself, wow, I shouldn't be judging this person. I I shouldn't, if you, if you guys went to the protest, whatever state you were at, and you started to be belligerent at these cops and at these officers, they were not your enemy. They really, really weren't your enemy. And I honestly, this, this, um, this interview was really long to the point that I had to break it into two instead of one episode. So, um, next week you will be hearing about the conclusion of this. And, um, I hope everyone who listened to this first episode really takes a moment to understand, like, where she came and how she was feeling in her experience of being the one that has to wear the uniform.